Section 31 of Epics and Romances of the Middle Ages. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Epics and Romances of the Middle Ages by Wilhelm Wagner. Section 31, Part 2, Section 4, Chapter 2. Beowulf the bold diver. Hialak, a brave and heroic man, ruled over Gothland at this time. He was surrounded by a band of famous warriors, chief among whom was his nephew Beowulf, bee-hunter, in other words, woodpecker, son of Ecthaeof. When the harper arrived in Gothland, he found that the Swedes had invaded the country, and a great battle was about to take place. A few days later the battle was fought, and would have gone badly with the Goths had it not been for the almost superhuman prowess displayed by Beowulf, who, in spite of repeated disaster, always returned to the charge. His coolness and courage kept up the spirits of his men, and at last the Swedes had to return to their own land, mourning the loss of their king, and of many a valiant hero. During the feast that was given in honour of this great victory, the stranger minstrel sang to the assembled warriors of the great deeds of past and present times. He sang of Sigmund, Siegfried, the brave Volsung, and of all his adventures with giants and dragons. Then, striking yet louder chords upon his harp, he sang of Beowulf's victory, and called upon him to do yet greater things, to seek out and slay the horrible fiend of the fen, Grendel, who nightly crept into the Schulding's hall and fed on the blood of heroes. Beowulf promised to go and try to slay the monster that had done such incredible mischief. Now one of the great lords, Breca by name, was envious of Beowulf's fame, and proposed that they too should on the morrow go down to the sea and fight the monsters of the deep. They would then see which of them was the better man, and the one that reached the shore first after the battle was over should receive the prize of victory. It was agreed that this trial of strength should take place on the morrow, and King Hialak promised to give the gold chain he wore around his neck to whichever one was the victor. Next morning the sun rose red in the east. The stormy sea moaned, groaned, and dashed upon the shore as though demanding a human sacrifice. The two bold swimmers stood on the strand, arrayed in their shirts of mail, their swords in their hands. When the signal was given, they flung themselves into the raging sea and were soon lost to sight. They kept close together that they might come to each other's help, if hard pressed by the monsters of the deep, but were at length parted by waves which bore them in different directions. Breaker soon after found himself in calm water, where he swam about until it was time to return. Beowulf, on the contrary, was carried to a place where the waves beat fiercely against great cliffs that towered above the water, a place that swarmed with polypi, sea-dragons, and horrible nixies, all lying in wait for their prey. Gigantic arms were stretched out to grasp him, but he cut them down with his sword. Monsters of every sort tried to clutch and stifle him, but he stabbed them through their scales. A Nixie clasped him in his arms and would have dragged him down to his cave, but he stabbed the monster to the heart and drew him to the surface of the water. After a long struggle he again reached the open sea and then strove with all his might to get home before the sun should quite have set. The storm was over, so that there was the less danger. Breaker was the first of the bold swimmers to reach the shore. He turned with a triumphant smile to greet Beowulf, but what was his astonishment? 
and that of all present when the hero dragged the monstrous form of the Nixie on the sands and stretched it out before them. The princes crowded round the hideous creature and gazed at his enormous limbs in speechless amazement. Here is the gold chain, said the king to Breaker. You have won it by hard labor. But my bold nephew has done even more than you in that he has conquered and slain one of the monsters of the deep. I shall therefore give him my good sword nailing with the golden hilt and the runic letters engraved in gold that are sure to bring fortune to the possessor. Beowulf was held in high honor by the Goths, but he could not sit still, satisfied with what he had already done. He longed to free the royal palace of the Schuldings from the monster Grendel, so he presently took ship for King Hrodgar's castle, accompanied by the minstrel and fifteen noble and courageous Goths. On their ship, touching the strand below the fortress, the watchman asked them who they were and what brought them to King Hrodgar's land. When he learnt their names and business, he was pleased and sent them on to the king. Hrodgar also received them with joy and gratitude. The minstrel tuned his harp and sang of Beowulf's heroic deeds and prophesied that he would conquer and slay the monster of the morass. This praise made Hunford, one of the courtiers, angry and jealous. He said it was Breaker, not Beowulf, that had won the golden chain, that the Gothic hero was undertaking an enterprise that would very likely lead him to his death, and he advised him to think twice before attacking Grendel. Upon this, Beowulf exclaimed indignantly that he had won a good sword instead of the golden chain, and that it was sharp enough both to pierce the hide of the monster and to cut out a slanderous tongue. Rodgar bade the courtier be silent, and promised the Goth that, if he were victorious, he would give him rich presents, and would enter into a firm alliance with his people. At nightfall, Rodgar and his warriors withdrew, and serving men came into the hall to make up beds for the strangers. Beowulf felt so confident of victory that he laid aside his helmet and shirt of mail, and then gave his sword to the groom in attendance. I intend to master Grendel with my fists, he said. He is unarmed, and I will meet him in like fashion. Midnight came, and the fiend of the fen rose out of his hiding place. He expected a feast that night, and, wrapping himself in a veil of mist, made his way to the palace. He entered the banqueting hall, and, at sight of the Goths, a grin of satisfaction spread over his countenance, displaying his great teeth, which resembled boar's tusk in size and shape. At the same time he stretched out his hairy hands, which were furnished with claws like those of an eagle. The warriors were all sunk in a sleep so profound as to seem like enchantment. Beowulf alone remained awake, and that only by a mighty effort. He watched the monster through his half-closed eyes, and saw him stand gloating over his intended victims, uncertain with whom to commence. At last he seemed to have made up his mind, for he hurled himself upon one of the sleepers, whom he rapidly slew, drinking his blood with evident eagerness and enjoyment. He turned next to Beowulf. But the hero seized his outstretched arm in such a firm grip that he bellowed with pain, and now began a terrible struggle between the man and the demon. The hall trembled to its foundation, and threatened every instant to fall in ruins. The sleepers awoke. They drew their swords and fell upon the monster, but their weapons glanced harmlessly off his scaly hide, and they were fain to take refuge in out-of-the-way corners that they might not be trampled underfoot by the wrestlers. At length Grendel had to acknowledge Beowulf's mastery, and now only strove to escape. 
With a mighty effort, he succeeded in freeing himself from the hero's grasp, but at the price of one of his arms, which, torn out at the socket, remained in his antagonist's hands. Then, with a howl of rage and pain, the demon fled back to his morass, leaving a trail of blood to mark the path by which he had gone. The gothic hero stood in the middle of the vast hall, holding his trophy in his right hand. The rays of the rising sun streamed in at the window and lighted up his head as with a glory. His companions crowded round him and greeted him with awe and reverence. Then he fastened the trophy of his victory over the door of the hall, and having done this he returned thanks to the All-Father for having given him strength to withstand the monster. The warriors knelt round him and joined him in his praise and thanksgiving. When the Goths rose from their knees, they saw the king and his courtiers assembled in the hall, gazing in astonishment, now at them and now at the monster's arm over the doorway. They told Hrodgar all that had happened during the night. The king was at first too much amazed to speak, but recovering himself, he desired his nephew, Rodolf, to bring the gifts he had prepared to reward the victor. The warriors soon returned with some servants bearing the presents, which Hrodgar gave to Beowulf with many words of gratitude for the service he had done him and the country. He then prayed the Goth to stand his friend and his son's friend as long as they all should live. After these things the king ordered a great feast to be prepared in honor of the last night's work. While this was being done, Hunford came forward and said, Noble Beowulf, I wronged you yesterday evening by my scornful speech, which I never would have made had I known what you were. Will you accept my sword, Hrunting? It was made by dwarfs, and the blade was hardened in dragon's blood, and in taking it will you grant me your forgiveness and friendship? The two heroes shook hands in token of their reconciliation and went together to the feast. When the feast was over and the warriors sat over their wine cups, the minstrel sang of Beowulf's victory over Grendel and of the alliance which had that day been concluded between the Goths and the Schuldings. When the song was finished, Queen Walchthelf filled the goblets of all present. To Beowulf she presented a golden cup, telling him to keep it in remembrance of her, together with a ring and a necklace that she put in his hand, saying they were the same that Hama, him, in the olden time, stole from the Brossing, or Harlong, treasure. Wear them, she added, for our sakes, but also for your own, that you may come whole and victorious out of all the battles you will have to fight during a long life. Beowulf thanked the queen in seemly fashion, and then the lady, Walchthelf, retired. While the king and his men, and Beowulf and his friends, retired to the royal apartments, beds were spread in the hall for many warriors who, no longer fearing a one-armed Grendel, had now flocked to the palace and filled it to overflowing. The night, however, was not to pass as quietly as was hoped. End of section 31 Recording by Stephen Harvey